the time is right to sort of move beyond these, if you will, the low-hanging fruits of digital health. We're hoping that healthcare becomes more distributed, for instance, that we see doctors treating patients where they are using virtual and in-home care and care becoming more decentralized and indeed not just patient-centric, but physician-centric. We need it to be more connected, less siloed, more integrated. That was Chris Bischoff, Managing Director at the global venture capital firm General Catalyst, describing his firm's investment strategy when it comes to trying to disrupt healthcare. Bischoff has been involved in a number of innovative deals over the past few years, including Livango, which is now part of Teladoc, CityBlock, which focuses on Medicaid beneficiaries, Devoted Health, which serves seniors, and Sword Health in the musculoskeletal arena. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication, health.oliverwyman.com. Bischoff recently joined Sam Glick, the head of Oliver Wyman's health life sciences practice, to examine healthcare's dot-com boom and what it means for startups, incumbents, and the industry overall. Let's pick things up with Glick asking Bischoff for a broad perspective on where healthcare stands right now in terms of venture capital investment. A couple of things here, Sam. One, I think it's clear that digital health funding has accelerated. And you know, certainly by our estimate, it's grown 24x in the last 10 years in terms of money into companies. I think the second thing to say is that COVID and the pandemic accelerated further that investment into digital health. And so we've seen in 2020 and 2021, as much money going into digital health startups as during the prior 10 years combined. And to some degree, that's created some hyper liquidity in the market. That hyper liquidity, I think, is a reaction to the gaps in care that the pandemic highlighted. When we look at it, we say to ourselves, has the healthcare system fundamentally changed post COVID and as a reaction to COVID? I think we think yes. Do we know the new system and how it will look? I think that's still uncertain. We all need to work together to get to the right answer. Have companies been overfunded? We think, you know, long term, this is a $10 trillion ecosystem in healthcare. It's highly efficient. There may be some indigestion, but we're very optimistic that great companies have been built. And over time, there will be significant outcomes from those companies. Happy to spend a bit more time in some elements of this, if you'd like. Yeah, I'm interested in particular as you think about that. And I think, you know, you and I kind of share a worldview of where healthcare is headed, that it has to become more consumer centric, more seamless, more convenient, more integrated, certainly more affordable, and that both technology and just kind of new ways of doing things play a big role in that. But there's a lot of noise out there. So, given what you just said, how do you and General Catalyst more broadly kind of separate the signal from the noise and choose where to place your bets? Sure. We invest behind or through a lens of something we call health assurance. And this is a thesis laid out by my partner, Hamon Tanija. And the idea being is that to avoid today's kind of sick care paradigm, we need to create a system that's more proactive, more accessible, and more effective, all the while reducing the GDP of healthcare and improving consumer experiences. I think the healthcare system has been focused on improving access. And I think we're now at a point in time where 
there's a general realization that access to a system that's broken is not enough. We need to change fundamentally the system. And as we look at health assurance in our thesis, you know, we're very much sort of focused on building businesses that deliver improvements in total cost of care and MPS from a consumer experience point of view. We also feel like the time is right to sort of move beyond these, if you will, the low-hanging fruits of digital health. We're hoping that healthcare becomes more distributed, for instance, that we see doctors treating patients where they are using virtual and in-home care and care becoming more decentralized and indeed not just patient-centric, but physician-centric. We need it to be more connected, less siloed, more integrated. And clearly, digital health in its first wave may have created a plethora of balkanized point solutions, and they need to become unified in some sort of platform. And you know, when you look at systems, I think, or indeed employers, I think they look at this plethora uh, of point solutions and say, well, look, it's confusing. We're unsure about the efficacy. And certainly in the case of systems, are you taking revenue away from us with this point solution? And if you're taking revenue away from us and getting capitalized to do that, we're losing revenue and we're, you know, we're low gross margin and low operating margin business. Is that something we're prepared to accept on a go forward basis? So I think digital health is going to have to work much more collaboratively to deliver solutions in partnership at this next stage, given that these low hanging fruits have been picked off. We think it also needs to be more personalized care needs to become more specific by condition, by demographic uh, and geo, and obviously more preventative and less reactive. And then I think what's really important given COVID and, and the pandemic, we've got to help and systems and pairs need to be part of this for care to become more fair, to encompass social determinants of health, to ensure underserved communities live healthier, happier, and more productive lives. There is an argument to say, and Steve Clasco has put it, that we're facing with health equity a crisis akin to climate change yeah. and we'll need to pull together like with climate change to address that problem. Chris, I've read the book on healthcare and it's a great book. I recommend to our listeners that they pick up a copy. And one of the things that stands out for me is this idea of health assurance and Steve Clasco make the case that we can do it with the technology we have today either within or around the current policy environment, et cetera, that this is possible given where we are today in healthcare. And some of this involves working with the system, as you mentioned, in partnership. Some of it involves just creating whole new pathways and a system kind of around the broken system. But that's different than the argument that a lot of people in the industry make, which is that if we're really going to make a difference in healthcare, we've kind of got to blow up the infrastructure and start over. Can you say more about that? Where does your kind of optimism come from that we can achieve health assurance with the technology and the systems and the reimbursements we've got today? So look, technology is an enabler, right? And like banking, healthcare is a data business in many ways and highly conducive to automation, to standardization, to tech-enabled scale. And I think we can see that technology is reducing friction and enabling new methods of delivering cost-effective clinical services. So I think we're optimistic about that. But it does need to go hand-in-hand with new payment systems, right? Because I think, to your point, we need to create the opportunity to serve some of these populations that have been underserved were once considered niche, where alternative means of care are required. You know, I'm excited around the 
payment options that allow that sort of care to be delivered on a total cost of care basis and drive real savings. So I, I think the value-based care movement is exciting. I think technology will help drive it, right? I think one of the things that's exciting is that we're seeing a shift in population health and predictive analytics from kind of somewhat academia to the mainstream of clinical care, and that obviously a big driver of value-based care. The thesis is that it's not possible, whilst we want to practice care or care to be practiced outside the four walls of the hospital, I think it's very hard to imagine you know, health systems, as an example, you know, call it 6% of the economy, not being part of the solution. We just don't believe in breaking the old and starting afresh. Healthcare is too important. It's too large. It's too complex to you know, not co-opt incumbents. And I think you know, when we talk to leaders of health systems and payers, they want to see change. They're bought into change whether that be governments, enterprises, and even actually when we talk to consumers, we all know that healthcare has to change. So I think there is the possibility of this sort of consortium of the willing to deliver change. It won't be easy. Some change will have to happen outside the system. But if you think about this marriage of technology and the incumbents, it's actually sort of mutually beneficial in the way we think about it, a partnership that is, right? Because the incumbents need and want innovation, but innovation isn't their core competency. The digital health vendors can create great tech and have great ideas, but they lack real-world experience of healthcare. Uh, They tend to build point solutions rather than platforms, and they don't always have empathy towards the people who need to work with these systems every day. A lot of our listeners are actually executives at those kinds of incumbent health systems and health plans and other companies. What advice would you have for them about how to be better partners to companies like Sword and Devoted and CityBlock and others in your portfolio? A couple of things. I think, first of all, it requires all parties to come to the table and, and recognize what they bring, to my earlier point. I think it is a real commitment to change. You know, you tell me otherwise, but I think there's an understanding with health systems. You know, A lot of them have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Yep. Certainly for the hospital-centric health systems post-pandemic, they're clearly at a heightened risk of commodification and disintermediation. And their old revenue lines are quickly becoming zero or very low margin businesses. My understanding is there's an appetite for change, but they need to be part of the solution. They shouldn't be forced into a situation where they buy digital health solutions from vendors who then go raise capital off that and create businesses that don't actually deliver total cost of care and don't help those health systems evolve and transform themselves. So, you know, I see a world where actually those health systems have equity arrangements so that if they take on board some of these new vendors, they can share in the success of these companies as and when, you know, perhaps their traditional revenue streams are eroding. I think one of the challenges in healthcare is it's hard to get someone to do something when their salary depends on them not doing it. And so if you can create those financial incentives for change, and I think the most forward-looking health systems absolutely get that and are a long way down this journey, and hopefully more will join them. Yeah, it's an important observation because I would say the vast majority, if not all, of the health systems I spend time with know that they need to evolve, know that they need to be more innovative. I think would agree with the thesis of health assurance in most ways, but they struggle to kind of think about 
how do they do more than just pilot or how do they do more than just run it through an innovation department? And this idea of moving from kind of a vendor mindset to a a real partner mindset, potentially even with equity and, and reimbursement alignment is an important one. And I think probably an unlock for a lot of them. Right. If we take, for instance, one of our early partners, TJU, they modeled a very significant 10-year economic benefit from going down the journey they went to become a partner for an innovation incubator, if you will, for a number of companies like Camure, Tendo, Olive, Transparent. So they saw the benefits, it, you know, the diversification of revenue streams, bigger impact, helping them modernize the infrastructure. And if you talk to someone like Steve Clasco, I think other leaders are also saying, look, we want to do that. There are case studies, right? Our partnership with HCA. So it's not yet been done. I think we're now in a world where how do we accelerate some of the change that the early innovators are pushing through? So Chris, one of the other things I hear is the energy we feel in the industry right now is very much like the dot-com boom. In a lot of ways, this is kind of healthcare's dot-com boom. And really good, durable companies came out of the dot-com boom. You can think of Google or Amazon or you know, name your favorite as you go through it. But there were naturally a lot of failures. And one of the things I hear from healthcare incumbents, particularly healthcare providers and health plans, is if we're in a boom, how do I know I'm betting on the right one? What if I do all this work to kind of build a partnership and it's actually one of the other players in the category that does well, or this isn't a category that proves out? How would you answer that? How do you think about the idea that in aggregate, sort of at a macro level, this is going to be a really transformative era for healthcare, but you can't always pick a winner? Yeah. So I think, I think that's a good point. I think if you're a health system and you come in at the beginning of the journey, right? Um, and you can help build this ultimately a piece of digital health technology or services that serves your needs and those of your patient population. If it becomes a sort of winner and scales dramatically elsewhere, that's a great upside, right? But the base case I suspect is, look, I actually need to serve my current patient population. And if I can do that in a more effective way with better outcomes at a lower cost, the rest is upside. And so I think if they come in early and co-build businesses, then I think there's that opportunity. I think the plethora of digital health companies will hopefully mean that buyers have more choices and that the market forces will start to work competition will create better solutions. I mean, we all know that's the case, right? I'm excited. I know you could take a slightly glass half full view that there's too many companies out there. And we've talked about the risk of too many point solutions and confusion, but I'm hoping that it will lead to just better companies over time. I think the other thing that's interesting is that because there's been so much capital put into digital health, it's actually becoming an economy or an ecosystem of its own. In the early wave of digital health companies, it was very hard to sell anything to digital health companies. There wasn't enough of them. And so you had to sell to incumbents. And we all know the sales cycle with incumbents are lengthy and difficult. And that led to some degree, the self-insured employer channel being the preferred initial go-to-market for a lot of these businesses on the delivery side. But I think we're now at a point also that because we've got this digital health ecosystem, there's certainly a lot of infrastructure players who come up and say, look, well, we can actually sell our healthcare software to digital first care models and power them up 
that I think becomes great because then we're building this infrastructure layer that will allow other companies to start and build more quickly, right? Because I think one of the challenges in healthcare is it's been very hard to find that technology layer, that data layer, that infrastructure layer that has been key to the transformation of a number of other industries. And on that specifically, maybe I take a consumer lens on it. You mentioned earlier this need for a kind of platform that consumers can use to navigate all of the solutions that are out there. And there's a lot of talk about kind of integration and how do we avoid fragmentation. And on one hand, integration does matter, right? We need people's medical records to be able to move from one place to another, and we need consumers to be able to understand which solutions are available to them and work best for them and those kinds of things. On the other hand, there are a lot of aspects of consumers' lives that aren't particularly integrated. They're just very easy to navigate. If I want to go shopping for something, I can go online and find you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of places to do it, and I get through it pretty quickly. And that's a good thing. That creates choice and lets the right solution for me sort of rise to the top. How do you think about, from a consumer perspective, this sort of integration versus fragmentation kind of question and, and where we really need to end up? Yeah. So innovation tends to happen at in niches and through an unbundling of something that was previously bundled, right? And vertical solutions appear, they become best in class because they're singularly focused on the vertical and then they expand horizontally to provide a more encompassing solution and leverage their customer base from the vertical solution, right? So we've seen unbundling and rebundling of of other industries. Look at Netflix, unbundled and rebundling now. So we see that time and again. Um, It's much easier to start for a young company in the digital health space to start with a very specific niche. I just think if I'm a payer or partner, how do I ultimately ensure there's this ROI, right? Because I don't think you can have an app store for healthcare. We want the consumer to actually get the best outcome. And how do we drive coordination and integration in a way that is seamless and effective for the consumer. I think that's really hard, but there will be a couple of pathways, right? They're they're gonna be the consolidators. I think there will be parties that think, oh, digital health is only part of the solution and we need to deliver the last mile. And so I think you'll see from just the digital solutions to solutions that integrate the last mile. And consolidators to do that will need access to capital and maybe public market capital to do that. Um, harder to do all those things in the private market for sure. And then you'll have the aggregators that look to aggregate, whether you know something like a transparent or an accolade. Um, that say, well, we don't actually need to own this if we provide the coordination that is sufficient to do so. And I think you'll have both models yeah. that work. But I think in the end of the day, both models will need to take risk on outcomes. And so the models are going to work best, I think, are the ones that can prove they can take risk. So Chris, I'll end with the question we ask all of our guests. You have quite the purview in healthcare and clearly have thought a lot about what it's going to take for us to have a a better system and a better experience for everybody. If you had all the time, money, influence in the world, what's the one thing you would do to make healthcare better? Look, I'd go back to health equity. I, I think that's something we really have to address. And they're just so significant disparities that COVID-19 has highlighted. And I think we now have the payment models that we have the entrepreneurs who are willing to take that risk. And we have the care models that are proven to ultimately deliver better outcomes to those populations. So I'm excited about 
the move of digital health from some of these more episodic or less acute conditions to really tackling the hard problems in healthcare. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, if we could get to a place where birth and geography are no longer a health destiny, we'd be in a lot better place. Chris Bischoff, thank you very much. Keep up the good work at General Catalyst and keep pushing us all to make a better system. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for listening to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast, brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming health, visit our online publication, health.oliverwyman.com.